0: Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening.
1: And the day is almost over. God of
2: love, give us a deep love for you so that we can see the world as you see it, feel the compassion you feel, and be a people whose lives mediate your love to others. So open our eyes that we might see what the Good Samaritan saw. Grant us the insight to see the need in others, the wisdom to know what to do and the will to do it. Amen.
3: What does the Lord
2: require of you? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. What does God command of us? To love God with all our heart and all our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves.
3: God does not call us to ease or to comfort,
2: but to presence, and abundance, and to grace to our struggle.
3: Let us worship the God who believes in us, and trusts in us, and abides with us.
2: Let us worship the God who will ask much of us, but will be beside us every step of the way.
3: God's love has been poured into our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God in confidence. Let us confess our sins to God and one another.
2: Holy God, we confess that we do not always love our neighbor. We confess that we have despised others, even to the point of hatred. We confess that we have been hurt by others and we confess that forgiveness and reconciliation at times are just impossible for us. We know that nothing is impossible in you. We come to you seeking healing and wholeness for us. Help us whenever possible to live in peace with others, to seek healing and forgiveness.
3: Amen. There is no place you can go, no end of the earth you can run where God cannot find you. There is nothing on earth or beyond death that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are forgiven, you are loved, you are reconciled to God. Go and live with the love of God. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you and flow through you.
1: A reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Let us listen for the Word of God. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, What must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, What is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, and so he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down that same road, and when he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, crossed over to the other side of the road, and went on his way. Now a Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him there. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. So what do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? The legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Friends, our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. God makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your siblings, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly parent is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in seminary, I was given one of the most challenging yet most helpful assignments in my academic career by my Christian ethics professor. Throughout that course, we were asked to choose a topic and eventually a moral question that we would engage throughout the semester. I chose the general topic of immigration with the moral question if Christians claim to love their neighbors then what might be a Christian response to the system of detention and deportation of undocumented immigrants in the U.S.? It was a question I had been curious, curious to flesh out theologically and ethically after serving with refugees in Clarkston, Georgia, the previous year. As part of the course, our third assignment, before our final paper responding to this question, was to engage the other point of view, to represent fairly and without critique another point of view and explain it. Why do they hold the position that they do? Rather than respond to the moral question by advocating for sanctuary and amnesty, as I would, the point of view I read, which was a book on the topic, held the position of upholding the laws of the land and their consequences and not breaking the law to to aid undocumented immigrants. I'll be honest with you, I hated reading that book. It was infuriating, nauseating, and I was frustrated that this book existed only to be read by people who already disagreed with me or might come to disagree with me. I hated its implications for the many immigrant communities including friends and neighbors whom I love. I also really hated that this guy and myself were reading the same Bible, learning about the same traditions, and came to fundamentally disagree on how to interpret them. If he deemed these immigrants as his enemy, and as a Christian, his book wasn't a very strong case for loving them, in my not so humble opinion. But this was also a powerful experience for me, one that took a person or opinion that I disagreed with and helped to humanize what was on the other side. It required me to listen, not to argue, but to really hear and learn their thought process. It asked me not to remain in an echo chamber, but expand outside of those bounds and better understand the fullness of a moral argument. That there is more than just one answer or way of looking at the world, Christianity, or specifically immigration. I wonder what it would look like if I actually regularly engaged other people and ideas like this. If I listened and considered the values and beliefs of those on the other side if I didn't dehumanize and make assumptions. and Before you think I'm trying to elevate myself with this example, trust me when I say that I would not have gone out of my way to read this had it not been required for the class. It was not an enjoyable experience, nor would I have made the time for it. But tonight, thinking about our neighbors and enemies after reading these passages, I wonder what it could look like for me, for us, to make the radical, backwards, kingdom of God choice to love over hate. In a modern context of the word, I don't know if I would consider this author my enemy. I think when we think of enemies, we think of the Joker, Thanos, Voldemort, the fictional epitome of evil in a world of magic and or superpowers. But an enemy is just an adversary, an opponent. Doesn't need, they don't need to be this big, hostile figure. Is disagreement enough to consider someone else on the other side of my argument an enemy? No, I don't think it should be, despite a political climate that claims the opposite. But when someone is actively perpetuating the very system I am seeking to tear down, I can't help but see them as at least some kind of opponent, someone against whom I am actively working. In that case, we all have enemies of some sort. We meet Jesus in the Gospel of Luke with this story about a about what it requires of us to love our neighbors. And if we are wondering exactly who our neighbors are, spoiler alert, enemies are also included. Neighbor is a large category, meant to be interpreted broadly, that extends all the way from those who are close to you and just like you, all the way to the other side, to your enemy. As the story goes, a man is found lying in a ditch on the side of the road, beaten and bloodied by robbers. A priest walks past, a Levite walks past, a Levite being another name for a priest. These two people who are the upholders of religiosity, the ones who should be the most compassionate, and they do nothing. But a Samaritan, the enemy of Israel, the Jews of Jesus' people, stops and helps him. But he doesn't just make sure he's okay. He treats his wounds, he helps him to an inn, and he pays for a couple of days' shelter there for the man's recovery. He goes above and beyond what is even expected from someone of his enemy status. One of the questions the story is asking us is what does it mean to love our neighbor when our neighbor is the person who we are against or who is against us? And not just tolerate them, but stop and pick them up off the side of the road and care for them. Or be willing to receive help from that said enemy when we are down and hurting. What does it mean to love and receive love when it is unexpected. I think, that, I think of this as a story that invites us into these rebellious movements of humanizing those who we deem as other. One of my favorite authors, the late Rachel Held Evans, who our freshmen are reading right now, found it helpful to think of those haters or opponents that she had as human, particularly as parents, as she was a parent herself. She engaged in this practice of imagining these people rolling around on their floor and playing with their kids, something that is sweet and pure, and while it doesn't change her disagreement with them and maybe some of the things that they have said and done, it gave her these moments of seeing someone for the fullness of who they are, of what it means to be human, that each of us are more than what our enemies see us as. I consider this a practice of love, a practice of humility and preventing ourselves from getting stuck in this cycle of demonizing God's children. I do, however, think we often speak broadly and sweepingly about enemy love in the Christian tradition, one that uses forgiveness cheaply as if it isn't hard, or that love isn't hard, or forgiveness isn't hard, or doesn't require much sacrifice, one that often neglects to take into account our various intersectionalities and privileges that make it potentially easier for some to talk about the theory of enemy love. Last week at the news of the indictment of one police officer in the shooting of Breonna Taylor, who was charged not for killing a human being, but for firing shots through her neighbor's drywall, at the reminder of a system that values property over people, I can't, at this moment, find justice in telling people to love the enemy of the state. I cannot, as a human being, and I especially cannot, as a white person, ask or assume that of my black siblings. And maybe it's because I, too, cannot fathom love for the state at this moment. But I can say with confidence that if we worship a God of love, unconditional love for every person, every child of God, no exceptions, maybe in these moments we can let God love our enemies for us. I wonder if by praying for our enemies, as Jesus asks, it means we can be honest with God about our feelings of hurt and betrayal. Maybe it means God can provide us with a space to be angry and hostile. Maybe it means that we can pray for a change of hearts and minds so that God's love can be reflected in all of our actions. Because God's love is also not cheap, not sappy, and one that requires much of us for all of us to change to be better, to be humble, to do justice. When I read the story of the Good Samaritan, I can't help but ask why the road to Jericho was so dangerous. Why was the man hurt on the ground to begin with? What are the conditions that led to this situation? Yes, the story asks us to love and care for our enemies, but let us not remain in this idea that loving is solely about loving individual people. It is, but it also requires us to address the underlying cause of the dangerous Jericho roads of the situations that lead to thieving and violence, of situations that create enemies to begin with. Because if those situations exist, and exist regularly, which I believe are oppressive situations, we are all affected and hurt by them. Loving requires us to live in such a way where bonds of oppression that affect us all are lifted. And while some may feel the disruption of the status quo a bit more negatively than others, I am inclined to think that this kingdom living we are called to is asking us to abandon the status quo anyway. And maybe we should resist the thinking that disruption is equivalent to hatred. Love is hard, my friends. Even for the people we know we do love, our friends, our family can be hard at times. If love were easy all the time, I don't know what four entire gospels filled with Jesus' teachings of radical love would be for, or an entire sermon series for that matter. It goes against our very nature to love in this way. And, and I think God is continuing to call all of us to more, asking much of us, not to prove our love and worth because that is already there, but to bring more love into the world, to love our neighbors and enemies and all those in between as much as we can alongside of a God who is loving us always, no exceptions. So, my friend, let us all go and do likewise. Amen.
3: The steadfast love of the Lord never
1: ceases. God's mercy.